from Relay FM. This is Download, recorded Thursday, June 13th, 2019. This is episode 106. I think it's us. Welcome to Download, where we cover the most interesting technology stories of the week. I'm Jason Snell, and I'm joined this week by our two most commonly returning favoritist best guests. Uh, Carolina Milanese from Creative Strategies is here. Hello. Hi. And Lisa Schmeiser is here from, I can never remember the name of your thing now because they changed IT the name. IT Pro Today. IT Pro Today. We do your brand on the right. Yes, we do rebrand regularly. Um, IT Pro today. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. So. You may know her from Elschmeiser on Twitter. Uh, uh, this is uh, Stephen Hackett, not here, but he'll be back in a couple of weeks. And uh, but we're going to soldier on and talk about the most interesting stories of the week, as chosen by me and also my guests who helped out there. And I actually wanted to start. Uh, I'm just going to. There was this piece on uh, Tech Pinions by one Carolina Milanese. Uh, that I think is a good door into our first big topic. And this, I feel like in the 106 episode history of Download, we keep uh, hitting this because it's like one of the real tech stories of our times. And it has a lot to do with big technology companies, especially that are involved in social media and uh, sort of what accountability they, they have or they avoid about what about their power uh, to affect reality. And Carolina, your piece on Tech Pinions this week was headlined um, Recodes, CodeCon, News news so this is so codecon which used to be the d conference back in the day and now it's the codecon uh the news show tech still in denial this is the this is the core of this um and you mentioned a bunch of stuff including instagram and facebook and aws and of course uh youtube where there was a whole conversation at codecon uh with the ceo of youtube i want to dive into this but maybe we could just start with your overall thoughts about this given that you wrote this whole piece that we'll put in the show notes about about the uh, tech industry not you know what is the form of denial what 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 are they what are they denying today two things in my opinion one that there is an issue and uh, okay. and the second one that the, the issue needs to be addressed is not going to go away. And uh, so there was that on one side, I thought, it, as, a, as a theme. And then uh, even uh, Cara pointed out uh, in an interview at the end of the first day of a conference, she was asked, you know, what's the theme here? And she said, well, everybody's sorry, because everybody <laughs> was on that stage saying, we're sorry. <laughs> we're trying the best we can. We're sorry. And it's like, you know what? The best you can is just not good enough. And it it was hard for me. (laughs) You know, think about it in a different way, right? Think about it in in a business way. And you're not making enough money and you're trying. I bet that they're going to try harder to make your money, more money, right? So if they're Mm -hmm. not being competitive enough, they're going to put whatever it takes to be more competitive, to get more money, to, you know, get in a better spot. Why is the same urgency not put on issues like this? And the other part that, especially with, with YouTube, I found interesting was decisions are hard. And yes, not everything is black and white. There's a lot of gray. It's not easy. But surely, if you make a decision 
We might agree or disagree with you, but you can articulate how you got there and what are the steps that you're going to take. And then if I am a YouTube creator, I know, okay, these are the rules. I done A and B, I'm good. I've done C and D, I'm going to get kicked off. And it's, it should be as transparent as it can be. I mean, I, I was thinking about it in terms of life. <laughs> and it's like, you know, like there is speed limit, okay? And you have to do 65 on highway. You're going to do 67. You're probably going to be okay. You do an 84, you're not okay. And you're going to, you know, you're going to get a fine and, and you're going to do whatever you need to do. You know, it's the same thing. Yes, there, there's gray, but there's a rule and you either obey by it or, or, or you break it. And then there are the consequences of doing that. And I don't understand that why it's so hard to articulate what the rules are and why you make a decision about content. Like I said, we might still not agree, but you should be able to articulate it and then we should have more information because of that and then decide, okay, I don't agree, but I understand why you came to that conclusion. And right now we don't even have that. And that was a big rant, I think, more than explaining my no, article. <laughs> no, 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 I think I think that I, I was struck by the idea that uh, sometimes in in staking out this ground, these enormous tech companies um, have gotten what they want in that they control everything about this and then the but the bad the bad side of that for them is that now they own the whole thing as opposed to being a competitor in a landscape and i think they find it fundamentally uncomfortable youtube is a great example facebook is a great example where instead of sort of competing with a set of rules they have to make the rules and that leads them to make you know to be forced to make decisions they either don't make the decisions because they don't want to be accountable they don't want to be responsible or uh, when they make them, and this is what they don't want to talk about, is they make them for business reasons, which is, you know, you you said it. These are incredibly rich companies. They're they're incredibly successful. They're trying as hard as they can, they say. I would wager they're not. I would wager that at some point somewhere is making the calculation that says, well, wait a second, we're going to spend more money in order to make less money right. because presumably we're going to kick people off. They're going to be fewer views of our content, whatever content it is, and that's bad for us. And, you know, they... they that's that's the truth of it is that they're playing you know they want to be the the business making a profit on a landscape but they also own the landscape for me one of the most illustrative things came up when i went to google cloud next and i was in a session where youtube was talking about using artificial intelligence and machine learning <laughs> so of course i'm going to go because there's been a lot of uh, oh the algorithm the algorithm terrible things are happening with the algorithm or why can't um why can't YouTube come up with tools that keep children from finding terrible clips on YouTube? And they did have somebody get up and talk about their YouTube for kids um, app and service. And I leaned for it because I thought, oh, they're going to talk about how they're using artificial intelligence and machine learning to more aggressively filter content and to reduce the number of complaints people have had about the atrocities that have been posted to YouTube clips kids with the explicit intention of alarming or upsetting kids for lulls, right? So... I had this expectation and then the designer gets up and they're like, we figured out a way to hijack user behavior and make it more sticky and more engaging so that they'd spend more time and go through more videos. And the fact that that was actually 
the accomplishment that they were focused on and wanted to brag about and did not address any of the issues they've had in their failure to use AI or even human moderators to deal with the nest of content problems they had. To me, that summed up the mentality of a lot of these companies, which is they say they're working hard, but what they're working hard on is optimizing and improving their product for their bottom line, for more market competition. And inside those companies, they see that as a greater good. And they've forgotten that for people who use their products, the agendas aren't the same. We don't care about Facebook's stock price. We don't care about YouTube's engagement rates or ad click-throughs. We care about having products that aren't going to violate our privacy, sell our data to people we don't want to have it, throw up bad videos in front of our kids. And it seems like there's a fundamental disconnect now between what these companies are putting out versus what people are actually asking for or what they expected from the products. At this point, a positive user experience is almost like an accidental byproduct as opposed to the intended product. The lack of responsibility and accountability is really mind-blowing. Like Susan Wojcicki saying um, on stage, mm-hmm. we're very sorry, right? And you said it, uh, Carolina, the idea that everybody's very sorry, we're trying our best. Like, But what, what she said was, um, we're sorry about all the terrible things on YouTube, but they don't violate the rules. Correct. But they make the rules. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's this, it's, it, you know, they, they want to, they, they don't want to be accountable and responsible. They don't want to make a tough stand. They don't want to do that. And so they want to seem sad that it's come to this, but they're literally the people making the rules. So it's very hard to take them seriously when they apologize for things that are out of their hands. Now, I am sympathetic in the sense that I think this got away from them. I think that I they, agree. right, they were so focused on things that were about their growth and about their success. And they didn't quite realize the weapon they were making uh, and what it could do and what damage it could do. I think, I, you know, I think that's maybe more true of YouTube than it is of Facebook. I think Facebook is much more cognizant of exactly what yeah. it's doing, but still you do get the sense like this all happened faster <laughs> yeah. than we intended. And now we don't quite know what to do. We are, I, I think I said this on a previous episode, we are literally the dog that caught the, uh, the car bumper. Caught the car. <laughs> right. Where it's like, um, okay, job done. What now? And they don't know. And, 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 you know, with YouTube stuff, especially, it's sort of like, you know, you end up and Twitter is the same way. You end up saying, well, what we want to be is a marketplace of ideas. It's like, really? Because you're a business. You can just say we're not interested in these ideas. But that That's means right. you're cutting yourself yeah. off. And the business part of the of the corporate structure is like the business growth part is like, oh, don't turn your back on customers, even if they're white supremacists. And, you know, somebody has to say, no, we, we do turn our back on them. And that that is not something that any of these companies uh, seem capable of doing i also i'll throw in uh i love how youtube has standards for monetization that are different from being on their platform as if that made a difference like well yes they're 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 awful hateful people but at least they can't show ads on youtube anymore but they can still they be can, on YouTube. yeah they can't make money on youtube but they can be on youtube and the youtube engagement algorithm is still going to throw these people up in front of your face right. is is the other thing yeah the thing is, is, is YouTube can talk out of both sides. Oh, we're very sorry these things are happening. Oh, my goodness, it's a huge technical problem. Um, but they're fundamentally unwilling to address it because at the end of the day, every quarter, they're turning in numbers that look that, that say, here's our engagement. Here's our click through rate. Here are the number of minutes that people are looking at the, at YouTube every day. Here's how it's rising. And the minute they do something to jeopardize those growth models, they're accountable to their investors. And that's who they're prioritizing. I I agree. And I think that the point that she made around, which speaks to exactly what you just said and what 
the point Jason made earlier, part of her apology was, you know, if we ban Viscount and there's so much more that would be get banned, well, so ban it. But, you know, that's the point. That yeah. is exactly the point. And by that argument, you should never clean your house because if you do, there's just so much more. You Oh, I shouldn't clean my bathroom because <laughs> if I do, I have to clean my kitchen and my living room. I mean, come on. <laughs> I also wonder if part of this and is a little, you know, bo- both with, with YouTube and with um, uh, with Facebook to, to some extent is the fact that these are places and Twitter too, um, you know, these platforms have become way more than what they were originally intended for. And it they serve different purposes for different people. So the idea, you know, what, Lisa, you were saying about the kids, um, you know, finding stuff, I was thinking as you were talking, I was like, well, you know, it's like you're going to the bar, right? You're going to a bar or a pub if you're in the UK um, and you know you're going to get alcohol, right? So there's the expectation. That's why you're going to the pub and the people that are working there know that they serve you alcohol and there are going to be consequences from that. They're not responsible for what you're going to do outside, you know, the pub. Um, but it is, it's not their job for somebody caring, you know, might see you drunk, tells you, you know, call a cab and, and, and don't drive. But, you know, not re- their responsibility. Their job is to sell you alcohol and food on a Sunday. But um, with the, the problem with Facebook and YouTube is the, what is their job? And so I could go there to Lily. I was looking at how you braid hair, you know, whatever. Some people might go there for different, very different reasons to that. And so how do you how do you decide and how you regulate and how um, from even from a user perspective, I don't know that we all have the same expectations. Um, but there's a basic expectation, I think, that we all have of decency and accountability uh, that this leadership is not actually showing. Yeah, and the problem is that the way that our uh, our, our world is structured, especially in uh, the U.S., is you know this is not a place where regulation can help them. I I do believe that there are, that part of what's happening when they say, oh, we welcome more privacy regulation and all of that is is it is almost like, look, can you give us some rules to follow? Because right now we're we not following know. any rules. Yeah. We, we don't even know. And it's like, okay, we can post some speed limit signs. But one thing the government can't do, certainly not in the U.S., is regulate how online providers regulate speech because that's like a basic First Amendment kind of issue. They have to do that themselves. And, you know, but and it's whether it's kicking people off your platform or tweaking, analyzing your algorithm to figure out, uh, you know, oh, it turns out that we want to show you this video because you'll watch more videos if we make you uh, radicalized, uh, which is a successful algorithm, but also basically evil. Um you know they 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 can't. There's no one to help them. They have to they have to want to change, and that's the real question. Is when I when I say I'm sorry, and Ina Freed asked yeah. uh, the YouTube CEO mm-hmm. directly. You know, when you say you're sorry, do you mean you're you're sorry 
that we feel bad or you're sorry that you did this. And the long word salad, as you pointed out, Carolina, minutes long answer was essentially we're sorry that people feel bad about our rules is all they meant by that. And it's like, okay, at some point you're going to actually have to be sorry about what's happening on your platform and not just sorry that what's happening on your platform makes people angry at you. Well, it's more than that, isn't it? It's not just what's happening. It's what you allow to happen. Yeah. So I spent all Tuesday afternoon reading Mary Meeker's internet report um, since all 333 pages of it dropped. Funk. Wow. I wanted to see for two reasons. One, I um, it helps shape coverage. You know, part of my job yeah. as an editor is to figure out what to cover and why. And this does help shape it. And two, I wanted to see what she prioritizes. And what I thought was very interesting was she had a substantial section this year on um the need for regulation or rather the way that she the way that it's framed is there is increasing public and governmental sentiment that tech companies will need to be regulated this sentiment is not going away it's only growing and it's going to be in tech companies best interest to recognize that this is coming down the pipe instead of fighting it and um I thought it was really interesting that she called that out and put several PowerPoint slides to it to make her case too because it's such a far cry from the, woo, it's the Wild West. We're creating new tools to connect people in a marketplace of ideas. Woo, don't you go at us with your rules, you old media government types. Like, it's such a far cry from that ethos in which a lot of these companies were founded and grew up, where everyone's like, oh, it's a search engine that doesn't want to be evil. Or I book you on Facebook. Like, now we've gotten to the point where she's like, no, you guys are businesses. You're going to get regulated. It's happening. Your users want it to happen. Brace for it. So... I'm not hopeful about a timeline, but I do think that with the combination of hearings that have started taking place um, and the tidy divvying up of companies between the Department of Justice and um, I think it's Department of Commerce that's looking at Amazon. I can't remember right now. I think that the wheels are beginning to turn and we will have some sort of tech framework or tech regulation framework in place Um in the next few years, uh, the questions I would have are whether or not this framework actually addresses any of these problems or how effectively the tech companies themselves will write the framework. I mean, these companies have armies of lobbyists in D.C., and the reason they're there is not just to build relationships. It's also to write legislation or suggested legislations that their pet, their pet senators and representatives can then go and introduce on the floor like it's their idea. So... We're just at the beginning of what's going to be a very long and very interesting um, story, I think. Yeah, as Casey Newton wrote in his uh, Interface newsletter this week, and I think that this is a, a solid way of viewing it, is um, he says, the more I, uh, I reflect on YouTube's current moment, the more I believe the outrage against it stems from the company's lack of accountability to the world. Whatever decisions it makes, uh, the world has no real recourse. We focus on what the policies say and which of them the company chooses to enforce. But the larger story is the way that YouTube has become a quasi-state without developing a credible system of justice and this is the this is that lack of accountability is um you know the company has to police itself and it is not interested in having a police force and that that is a it's a very weird 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 place that we're in with all of this um i also wanted to mention before we move on from this topic 
Uh, Facebook, because far be it from me to keep Facebook out of a discussion <laughs> about these issues, uh, Facebook, one of the things that they announced at the Code Conference was that they're going to have a couple new versions of their Portal, which is their Amazon Echo-like device with a video camera, and you can do chatting and things like that with it. And they said that they are happy with sales, which I'm not quite sure what that means. Um, and, my, and, and I have a great deal of skepticism for this in the short run and the long run. It's like, I kind of can't believe anybody wants... Uh, the camera from Facebook to be in their home. And I also kind of can't believe that in the long run, Facebook is going to be able to beat Amazon and Google when it comes to a product like this. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I I can't believe anybody would want uh, a Facebook camera living in their home, given the history of Facebook the last couple of years. Who's buying them? I mean, they're talking about sales being good. Who is buying Mm. them? I don't know. <laughs> because I, you know, I'm a skeptic too. I do think that they had, um, from a hardware perspective, uh, they actually very good device and the technology that follows you with a camera was a first and, and it's very smart. So they're definitely, uh, from a technology standpoint, some, some interesting features that others, uh, don't have. But the point uh, about these devices in the home is really about the ecosystem and the assistant. Now, of course, they're smart that they had Alexa there. So they went with, um, you know, uh, uh, somewhat trusted because even Alexa now is starting to um, create some some fear, in my opinion, not funded, but um you know, the, the, the idea of having cameras and mics in, in the home is still leaving a lot of people um, not comfortable, which speaks to Jason's point. Like, well, why would you want Facebook to do that? But the, the, the part that is fascinating to me is how, you know, if you think about Facebook in, in particular Messenger and how successful Messenger has been for bots and advertising, not necessarily for human-to-human communication. I find it a different way to communicate than not the kind of people I would want to communicate with a portal or, you know, a drop-in from Alexa or whatever you're using in the home. You know, it's usually group conversation, it's people that you're friends with in, on, on Facebook. It's not people that you have a phone number for or, you know, some demographic use that instead of iMessage or, or WhatsApp or, or uh, texting. But I don't know, it just feels like a mismatch of, mismatch of purpose. You know, they, they're talking about creating communication and making communication more personal through portal. And I'm just asking, who would want that? It's a great mystery. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and nobody who's been listening to what Facebook has been doing for the last two years, I think, is my answer to that. But, um, boy, it is the story of our era, I think, and, and it's not going to stop anytime soon. Uh, we're going to take a big break and come back and talk about some other stuff that's going on that's also kind of weird and unsettling. What a strange world of tech news we live in today. Uh, but first, let me stop and tell you about our sponsor this week. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Pingdom, the company that makes website performance monitoring easy. Everyone loves a fast website. Pingdom is helping keep your favorite sites online. Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, BuzzFeed, Slack, to name just a few. These are companies who trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring. Websites can get pretty complicated, but you can monitor any 
transaction on your site with Pingdom. That means stuff like user registrations, logins, checkouts, a whole lot more. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. They don't want there to be trouble. And you know what? If disaster strikes, if computers betray you, because they will, you'll be the first to know instead of your customers finding out and complaining to you or complaining to someone else who complains to you. It's no good. You know the disaster is going to strike. You know the computers are going to fail you. So you need to know and get it fixed fast before anybody even notices, ideally. It's easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is your URL. They take care of the rest. That's it. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM. Right now, you'll get a 14-day free trial, no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code DOWNLOAD at checkout, and you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for supporting this show and all of RelayFM. Now it's time, before we go on to our topics, to tell you about... The story you might have missed, something that may have flown under your radar, but is worth talking about. La Liga, the premier soccer league in Spain, has been fined 250,000 euros for spying on its fans. Well, spying on the sports bars its fans go to. What happened is they used their La Liga app to monitor the location of their fans and use the microphone to pick up the sound of broadcasts of La Liga matches. And if the location was a sports bar that was not paying for a license to bro- to publicly <gasps> display La Liga matches, yep. they were then approached and told that they needed to pay up because they were in violation of the licensing agreement. Uh, this is, uh, there is, it's mentioned in the terms of service and says that this is optional. Um, but they said it was only used to detect La Liga broadcasts. Anyway, this is not okay with uh, the European Union and they got, uh, or no, not okay with Spain. Spain. Spain's own yeah. data protection agency fined them directly 250,000 euros. But um, I saw this story and I thought, okay, first off, uh, kind of brilliant, kind of evil, and that I am surprised, I would be surprised if somebody at like the NFL's head office didn't immediately take a note of this and say, hey, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, who's mm-hmm. going to stop us? Um, anyway, yeah, so so sometimes your smartphone is spying on you in order to spy on other people and get them in trouble. Isn't that nice? That's great. Oh, this, this is, there are sci-fi, if, if we had time travel and we brought up sci-fi writers from the 60s and 70s, they, they would probably just begin laughing incredulously. And- oh, yeah not stop until we shove them back into the time machine and sent them back. <laughs> These smartphones are great. Oh, also they, they are creating a dystopian surveillance state, but they're great. They're great. So wait a minute, let me get this straight. You pay for the your own surveillance device and you pay to maintain and upgrade the surveillance device and keep it continuously connected. And then you pay for the applications to allow more comprehensive surveillance of you. Yes, well, I got 120 no, some, likes. Some of, some of the okay. applications are free in exchange for more surveillance. Yes. So, yeah. you know, yeah. that's fine. When you're sur- true. true. It's... Anyway, good job, La Liga. <laughs> uh, well, boy. Uh, I want to talk about the, the what I put in our document as the Huawei mess. So Huawei had a <laughs> Windows laptop they were planning to launch, and they had, they were going to launch uh-huh. it this week, a new MateBook, and they pulled that because Microsoft is basically not allowed to license Windows to them anymore as a part of the uh, the sanctions and the and the trade war and the U.S. saying that Huawei is in is in uh, big trouble. Uh, there was a report in the South China Morning Post this week about how Huawei has also been working on 
for a while now an operating system to replace Android, uh, which understatement of the year took on an extra urgency after the u.s government said they couldn't put android on any of their devices anymore um you know i i there this seems like barring some sort of last minute negotiation which could happen because that's kind of what happened with zte it is fascinating to watch this happen where you know basically the u.s government has pointed at this company and said they can't do business anywhere outside of china anymore and uh it sounds like we're gonna see whether that's the case or not but since you the u.s is supplying your their operating systems for their devices it sounds like the u.s has a lot of leverage here and and i there's another twist i don't know if you saw that that now uh huawei turned to verizon and said better pay our ip because we have ton of ip in your 5g network that you're gonna have uh... to pay for <laughs> um so it is fascinating to me how there, there's different conversations going, right? And one is the comparison with ZTE, except the, the reasons were slightly different. In my mind, there's no question that Huawei is, is a pawn, right, from a government perspective um, in this trade war between China and, and the US. And I don't think that you know, kind of questioning the, are they spying? Are they not? What they're doing so far? Nobody's actually had anything, um, any real data and fact that they're bringing to the table. Uh, and in the US, from a from a, a phone perspective, it doesn't really matter because they have no brand here, no presence from a sales point of view. But what is fascinating is the idea of, oh, we're building another uh, OS. And, you know, people in my Twitter feed going, this is great. You know, enough with with uh, iOS and, and Android. We're going to have, you know, another operating system. And I was like, really? <laughs> uh, you know, outside <laughs> of China... Uh, they might be able to do uh, to to come up with an operating system that is allowing apps to go across from from Android to their own OS, but nobody's going to put their apps there. And and this is what the problem is: is you know even if they have an alternative, uh, all the US brands. Uh, and and companies are not going to provide those apps as part of the same rule you know and so you know if 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 android is not allowed then gmail is not allowed and and maps is not allowed and search is not allowed and all that kind of you know chrome and so forth so what are you going to do with that operating system because that's what consumer are you know it's not the operating system it's what runs on top of it and yeah, you have alternative. You know, you don't have to use Google Maps. You can use here, or uh, which is European based, not US. Uh, but you know, people are using Google Maps, and so why should they change? There are other manufacturers that are making their phones still available. It's not like you know, Huawei is the only one left that you have no other option um, than uh, than you know buying their their phone with with a new operating system. So it, there's a lot of confu- confusion, but definitely Europe is the market that is being impacted the most. Um, both from a sales perspective, but also from a 5G rollout perspective, because the U.S. is is playing hardball with uh, with the European governments and and saying that they're not going to share 
um, confidential and you know secret information with them anymore uh, from a security perspective. And so um, you know the the question of okay, what do you do from a network infrastructure perspective? And you can't ask you know Vodafone and EE and everybody else in Europe to now get all the the kit that they have in the network that is while we made out of the network and start again. That that's just impossible, both economically and from you know where are they going to be left in in the race to five G? And I think that there is a lot also that people are missing as far as five G. You know, we think about the phones that to some extent is the least least exciting part of five G, and five G is strictly linked with AI, machine learning autonomous driving and all the next phase basically of technology and letting the, the taking Huawei out of that in Europe and setting Europe back from a rollout perspective is just putting China ahead in a different way so you know there's a lot i think that um under the water from just you know, sales of phones and, and PCs with, with no software. I'm also struck by the, um, the the change in tactics as a part of this trade war. And I, I think, you know, despite what has been said, trade wars are not easy to win. They're very complicated. And there there is an aspect of kind of be careful what you wish for here. Right. That all said, and I and also as I've said on this show before, we don't we don't know what the US government seems to act like it knows about Huawei. And it may be that this is a, a pretense, or it may be that there is actual intelligence that Huawei has been used by the Chinese government uh, in in ways that threaten, especially with the 5G networking, threaten the security of uh, European and North American uh, networks. It's possible. It's possible, but we don't know anything about it. What What is Really interesting, though, was the change in tactics, because I I feel like for a long time, the approach was uh, that, look, we're all in an international economy and it goes across the borders and this is good for everybody. And and yet there was also this sort of fear of like, oh, but the supply chain is in China. China controls the supply chain and that there's a threat there from China. And what I think is interesting about what's happened with this move and, and is the saber rattling, is this just making clear what the stakes are? is this is the U.S. government saying, your stuff runs our software. And we control the software. And without the software, you're nothing. So you can't use the supply chain against us or we use the st- the software against you. And that's interesting because there's some truth to that. Although be careful what you ask for, because although Huawei's operating system may not be much and it may not be anything outside of China, you do risk uh, planting a seed that in 10 or 15 years results in uh, their software being dominant <laughs> after all, because it needed to be because they needed to build it. China's the number one Internet market in the world. There's still there's still room for mobile penetration to grow in the larger age in the larger Asian market. And if you do if what what you've effectively done is created an opportunity for China to come up with an op- or or I should say Chinese entities to come up with an operating system and a set of apps that is completely divorced from the rest of the international internet slash mobile ecosystem. And then all of a sudden it's the rest of the world that has something to be nervous about because they're effectively locked out of the market. Right. Which is how 
a, a, a company like Apple, which actually uh, works in China and sells in China and has made an investment in the Chinese market, approaches China. I mean, everybody's got like development centers in China and all that, but like Apple, Apple yeah, really. Microsoft has like their AI facilities right. there. And, and at yet, least two, you two know, of Google's presence six. in the Chinese yeah. market is kind of limited to Android being on devices. And yet, you know, they don't mm-hmm. have quite as much at stake as a company like Apple does. So it varies from company to company. Yeah, because their, their ecosystem doesn't matter. Google's ecosystem in, in China doesn't matter. And so I think that that's where people get slightly confused, in my view, that they see the success that Wow is having in, in China and say, well, they can replicate international. And it's like, well, not quite, because um, in China, there are other apps that are an other ecosystem that matter outside of Google. It was interesting that Google spoke up uh, as far as the threat that uh, an alternative ecosystem uh, will bring as far as security as well. And, and also the fact that uh, if they're not allowed to uh, provide security patches and, and so forth going forward, you have those phone even more vulnerable um, to, you know, spyware and so forth. So, um, yeah, things get complicated. And, and it's interesting, Lisa, that you mentioned AI, because I think that that is a big part of the conversation when it comes to China, that I don't know if people don't want to talk about it or they don't know how to talk about it. But it was fascinating. I was at a Remars in Vegas last week for Amazon's conference, and there was a panel about um, FAIR. AI and an algorithm, and you know, we we discussed a, a whole bunch of things. But then uh, one of the panelists made this this great point that is, you know, we can talk about this all we want, but we are not going to be alone in determining what is ethically right or not. And if we lose that race, and somebody else sets the standard for what is ethical and and what is fair then we're really in trouble. And he was referring, of course, to China. I've I've had briefings with analysts who have made similar arguments where they're couching this as an AI Cold War already and talking about um, how it's basically going to be a battle of different foundational premises when the researchers go into this. And Carlina, you mentioned privacy when it comes to um, mobile OSs and apps. And I thought, well... At this point, we've seen how lightly Americans value privacy, especially data privacy, when it comes to their mobile experience. The attitude seems to be different in Europe. And um, legislatively, it's different in Australia. But I'm wondering if the notion that you deserve privacy in any activity where you're interacting with anyone else is something that isn't a cultural constant. And so you're going to have apps and um tech ecosystems that evolve without, with, without it. Because as far as the people who are developing them or the people who are sanctioning the development are concerned, you don't need privacy. Privacy doesn't do anyone any good. Privacy just makes it more difficult for society to get along. You know, that's a, another development hmm. here, too, is we can talk about we can talk about privacy, but that's not necessarily a human universal value. Yeah. Another interesting inflection point in history. Oh, boy. <laughs> I know. Oh, boy. We always have very depressing conversations when, when the three of yeah. us are on this. I don't this. know if it's Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's us. We, we, I, I, obviously, we're on because we all love technology and we all love the way that it has um, enabled collaboration and creativity and 
enable discoveries that would have taken decades otherwise. And it's done fantastic things for all sorts of industries and continues to do so. Like, I think that's the reason I still love covering it is I love finding out how it's transforming agriculture and aquaculture and the food chain security and things like that. But at the same time, you can't introduce any tools to a society without expecting human behavior to alter in response to the tool and the way that time has changed, you know, the way people use their time or how they value it. And we're having those conversations now and they may be depressing, but in a way it's also kind of exciting that we, that we're having them, that we understand what the stakes are, you know, (laughs) I'm very much a glass, glass half full person though. So that's why I'm like, Oh, it's exciting as opposed to, Oh God, it's terrifying. Um, I, I have one more story before we go, which is uh, mm-hmm. a Mark Gurman story at Bloomberg about Apple buying uh, a, a company called uh, Drive.ai, which is a self-driving van service, basically. But the idea here is that, uh, according to Gurman, Apple is going to buy it as an aqua hire. They want to pick up the, the technology talent. Um, and actually won't be using any intellectual property from the company. And I, I think it's interesting in the sense that we're trying, there have been so many mixed messages about what Apple thinks it's doing in terms of autonomous vehicles and things like that and what it's investing in there. And this is just another little data point, which is it seems like they're still interested in acquiring talent that has some sort of application or applicability from autonomous vehicles. Carolina, where do you think Apple is right now in this? Are they just uh, kind of still, are they driving towards something or are they just kind of in oh, long-term I see R&D you did here? That, that oh, yeah, driving. Or are they in neutral or have they put it in park? <laughs> Sorry, you made me do uh, that. Um, <laughs> so it was interesting a while back that uh, Tim Cook made a statement around the importance of understanding uh, autonomous vehicles and autonomous as a as a, a way of operating something, um, because you learn a lot from it, and it has a lot of applications beyond just the car. Um, so that's what the one part, and I don't know if he was just trying to avoid answering the question that was around: Are you making a car? Uh, or if that's true. But I, I do think that as a statement, that is true, that if you're thinking about user experience and a way to interact with technology, um, especially when it comes to ambient computing, I think that there is a, a value to, to a statement. The other part, personally, I think I always been in the camp of I'm not expecting Apple to make cars as a, you know, I go and buy a car. Uh, because that's not their business. Um, it, it was just logistically be too much of a nightmare to do something like that. But I always thought that Apple could do, could have a fleet. And, um, you know, I said on Twitter, I can't remember if I said I drive or I share something like that. Um, that is going to be an experience. And so, you know, I have a, a taxi or, or, a, or, or a, a share car share share services that um once I'm in is personalized is so I can rent that car hire that car to commute to San Francisco and when I go in you know it knows it's me it knows what music I play it knows my calendar it knows whatever it is and so it becomes my you know iPod 
as in the pod and not the the music device that is going to take me wherever it is that I need to go and in the meantime be mine and then I go off and you go on and it's going to become yours that to me has always made way more sense as a service than not making cars and and I understand Apple knows hardware but you know there there is a little bit of a difference between you know a phone and a car um but from a from a service perspective if we are really truly believing that that's where they're going anyway i think that ride share fleet whatever you want to call it um makes a lot more sense and would speaks to would speak to you know continue to consume content and delivering that experience um that i think apple has has always focused on but what do i know <laughs> what do any of us know at this point? I don't know. It feels like they're they're interested. But they've got the money to do it, right? They've got the money to take the long view and not say we're building a product, but we're trying to see what we can learn here and where we add value. And it seems like they initially were like, we're going to build a product. And they're like, wait a second, yeah, this is not. more complicated than we thought. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I think the disciplined thing to do, I have to say, is is to, or, you know, maybe it was not disciplined to ro- rush into a product, not realizing you couldn't build it, which is probably what happened. But it is a, a, a grown up thing to do to look at it and say, hmm, okay, we need to go back and focus on, on these issues and then see where it takes us. And that seems to be what they're doing. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think we've reached the end. Before we go, I usually do a something called, because as Carolina said, uh, we, we it gets d- dark and depressing when we are all here um, on this oh. one. Uh, I, and that's why we do the fuzzy puppy update. This week, I do not have a puppy. <gasps> I just want to say my fuzzy update puppy update this week is that uh, my daughter is graduating from high school today. Oh, congratulations. Oh, my goodness. Kind of hard oh, to believe. Oh, my goodness. I remember when she was born. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, me too. Me too. That was not that long ago. Yeah. And yet somehow here we are. So uh, congratulations no. to Jamie. Big congratulations to Jamie. She's going to the University of Oregon in the fall. So uh, oh, we will nice. miss her. But uh, she's going to be lazing around the house for the whole summer. Uh, <laughs> and that does bring us to the end. Car- <laughs> Carolina Milanese, where can people find you and your stuff on the Internet? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Caro underscore Milanese, M-I-L-A-N-E-S-I. They can find me on techpinions.com pretty much every Wednesday. And on my new site, although I need to speed up my writing schedule, on The Heart of Tech. All right. And Lisa Schmeiser, where can people find you? Probably the best place is on Twitter at L-S-C-H-M-E-I-S-E-R. All right. Excellent. And uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening. We will be back next week. But until then, I will keep watching the headlines so you don't have to. Goodbye, everybody.